Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latinx culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. This episode contains descriptions of violence. Please use discretion. In 2014, a woman was pulled over by Myrtle Beach Police in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The woman was black, and the police said they pulled her over because of a taillight. They found a small amount of marijuana in her car, and she was given the option to avoid charges if she told them where she got the marijuana. As one officer later put it, she was asked, quote, who she knows. She says she did know someone, but she didn't know his full name. She only knew him as Jules. My name is Julian Benton, and right now I'm in uh, Conway, South Carolina. The police drove the woman to Julian Benton's apartment. They wired her with a hidden video camera and audio recorder. And then they gave her $100 and told her to ask Julian Benton to sell her marijuana. Julian is black, and in 2015, he was 30 years old. It was a friend of my girl, at the time, girlfriend. It was, she had some problems after her father had died, so she had had a medical discharge from the military, and she had asked me for some, and I gave her some at first, and they told her to come back and buy some from me. So that's what she did. The woman came out with what police recorded as approximately seven grams of marijuana. She'd done what the officers asked her to do, but something had gone wrong with the video recording. So they waited a few weeks, gave her a hundred more dollars, and drove her back to Julian Benton's house. Well, I didn't expect her to come back and buy something. That was kind of strange that she came back and wanted to buy. I was like, okay, well, here, but... That's not, I mean, all right, this ain't something that's going to become a habit. She knew what I would do it for her because I knew her situation. I, I don't know. I think, I think she was pretty much more scared than anything. When the police stopped her and told her that if they, if she didn't give some, if she didn't give them the person who gave it to her, that she was going to go to jail and lose her um, military benefits. On the second visit, the woman bought approximately eight grams, and there was a video recording. This gave officers from the 15th Circuit Drug Enforcement Unit probable cause to get a search warrant for Julian Benton's apartment. The 15th Circuit Drug Enforcement Unit 
pulls together officers from multiple police departments across Ori and Georgetown counties in South Carolina. Its stated intention is to create a multi-jurisdictional, multi-agency task force to address major drug enterprises. When you look at the operational plan the Drug Enforcement Unit created for their search of Julian Benton's apartment, the first thing you see is their insignia. It's a large drawing of a skull and crossbones in front of a marijuana leaf. There's also a sword and a lightning bolt. Underneath that, a sort of motto. Serving our community, one dealer at a time. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Julian Benton lived in a building with four apartments in Myrtle Beach. On April 16, 2015, just before 3 o'clock in the afternoon, his next-door neighbor, Santos Garcia, was outside working on his moped. Julian Benton was inside playing video games. Julian paused the game to go to the bathroom. And upon coming out of my bathroom, I hear a loud boom. And I'm thinking my name, my upstairs neighbor had dropped something because that's all I heard was, it was, okay, what, what are y'all doing upstairs? It was kind of the thought. But as I'm looking up, getting ready to say that, my peripheral, I see objects coming at me in my living room. So I'm trying to process that, but I step back and reach for my gun because it was terrifying. It was like, what the hell is this? And I mean, it was just a reflex of me reaching for my first, first thing in defense. Did you hear a knock? Did they announce themselves? No, no, not at all. No. The next-door neighbor, Santos Garcia, said that he'd been standing there, and all of a sudden, several cars appeared. He said, quote, A white car pulled up into my front yard right in front of me. One of the men who got out of it pointed a rifle directly at me. I was told to get down, and I immediately did. I was five feet from Julian's front porch and door. Without stopping, several of the men who had just arrived immediately went up into Julian's front porch and bashed in his door. None of the men announced that they were police. No one knocked on his door. No one waited any period of time for him to come to the door. And then Santos Garcia said, within two seconds of the men bashing in Julian's door, I heard multiple gunshots that sounded like automatic weapons. I remember I remember getting hit the first shot that hit me because I didn't hear the shot. I felt it, and it was right up under my right arm, like maybe an inch or two away from my from my chest, my nipple on my chest, my right side of my chest. And that's it felt like more of a like somebody had just punched me real hard. And I thought it was, yeah, it was like, it was, it happened so fast. It was just like, okay. And I knew intuitively, it was like, okay, you're dead. That's just my, my, uh, but that was the last thought I had of there was like, you dead. And I woke up in a coma six weeks later. According to the Drug Enforcement Unit's operational plans, 10 officers were assigned to go to Julian Benton's apartment to execute the search warrant. An officer named Chad Guess is listed as the case agent. Three of the officers at the apartment that day shot Julian Benton, Frank Waddell, Chris Dennis, and David Ballou. They fired an estimated 29 times, and nine bullets 
hit Julian. Julian says he never fired his gun. Here's how Officer David Ballou described what happened. He's speaking to a lieutenant with the Office of Professional Standards at the Myrtle Beach Police Department. So I grabbed the screen door and pulled it open for the not, you know, for the person to knock and announce and utilize the RAM. So I pulled the screen door and out of habit, I announced police search warrant. Um, guys, other guys started to stack up on the porch in a like kind of like a formation preparing mm-hmm. to enter. Um, Chad Guess, he, he had the RAM actually in his hands. He was uh, going to be the person to ram the door uh, mm-hmm. by force with no an- if there was no answer at the door. Um, so he comes up to the top of the porch, goes up to the front door, and he knocks and announces police search warrant. There's no answer. He hits the door with the RAM. Um, the door comes open. It swings in. Um, two agents went in front of me into the house, um, and those agents were um, Frank Waddell and Chris Dennis, and then I was the third person through the door. Um, and okay. so we were, we ended up one, two, three in a row, all side by side. Okay. Um, and as soon as I planted my feet inside the door, um, I know, I remember when Chris Dennis being first in, he announced at least once, if not twice, police search warrant, police search warrant. Um, and about that time, I stepped my feet into the door. As soon as I planted my feet, I saw um, a black male who I could identify from the pictures we saw of him earlier as mm-hmm. Julian, uh, Mr. Benton, um, turned a corner from a bedroom, um, probably about eight feet in front of us, eight to 10 feet in front of us, um, with a gun, handgun. He was black in color. Um, appeared to be like a uh, a large caliber um, semi-automatic weapon. Um, it was fully extended. I remember he was wearing a white t-shirt and uh, blue jeans. His handgun was fully extended. His arm was fully extended out, and he fired around um, in our direction into the the center of the three of us. Okay, he fired one round or more. I don't know. Um, I rem- I distinctly remember one round, but. I couldn't tell you if you fired more or not. I, I don't know. Okay. So you saw him with his weapon, arm extended. He fired around. What took place at that point? Um, once that happened, um, my first instinct was we're being shot at. Um, and so I I was, I was, had an AR-15 um, that I was issued to the Drug Enforcement Unit. Um, I pointed my weapon in his direction and fired... Um, several rounds i don't know how many um but just several um and i noticed in my peripheral um chris dennis and um frank waddell were were falling down um my mind in my mind i thought that chris dennis was shot um and he was going down um he went directly backwards um and, but he was, I, I could see he was firing his weapon out of my mm-hmm. peripheral also. Okay. Um, once they hit the floor, uh, the firing stopped. I stopped. I saw um, Julian, um, I guess you'd say, he kind of, he, he dropped the gun at his feet, took a couple steps backwards, and kind of fell back into the hallway. Um, at that point, I knew he had been hit. Uh, okay. I couldn't see any blood or anything, but I knew he had been struck. Um we still thought that Chris Dennis was hit. 
I checked on him briefly. Um, he said he was okay. I saw Frank Waddell. He had also fallen to the ground. Um, he had gotten back up, um, and we both, you know, I, I, I said, hey, we've got to move forward. We don't know if the rest of the house is clear. Frank got up. I moved forward. Frank moved forward covering the bad guy, um, or, or Mr. Betton. Uh, once we got to him, Frank stood over the handgun. It was now at his feet, and Julian was laid laid out on his back. Mm-hmm. Um, he was awake and alert and, and screaming. Some of the officers were wearing body cameras, but it appears they didn't turn them on until after Julian Betton had been shot. When you watch the body camera footage, you can see Julian on the floor, obviously in terrible pain. They handcuff him. He calls the officers sir. They call him Bud. At one point he says, please don't hurt me anymore. They put a tourniquet on his leg, and then you see paramedics take over. Julian Betton was taken to Grand Strand Medical Center, where doctors performed multiple surgeries. He was put into a medically induced coma for six weeks. When he woke up, he couldn't feel his legs. I remember waking up a few different times and seeing my mom in my hospital, you know what I mean, at my bedside, and was like, okay, and kind of dozing off on and off. With the, when I first started getting a memory back to what happened, it was a, a sheriff officer next to my bed telling me that I had a shootout with the police. And me and him is arguing, because I'm like, dude, I'm black. I don't, I'm not shooting at the police. Tell me what really happened. And then they told me what day it was. I panicked because I didn't know. It was like I had lost a month and a half. You know, I, the last time I knew it was April. I was waking up. It was, it's June. Huh? So what happened to that space in that six weeks? I got a phone call from a friend that got a phone call from a girl that lived above him. How I first heard about it. And what did you hear? I heard that it was a shootout, that he'd gotten a shootout or something with police. What I initially heard. This is Julian Benton's friend, Reggie Mitchell. He says that when he heard that Julian was in the hospital, he went to see him right away and was told he wasn't allowed in the room. I got the, you know, the reports from uh, the news where they said that he shot at the cops or something like that. And I just knew that didn't sound right. So my first thing was to call Johnny. That, that was my first move. Johnny McCoy is a lawyer and Reggie Mitchell's old friend. They both grew up in Myrtle Beach. They played football together. Uh, as soon as I heard that, as soon as I heard that they said he shot at the police, I just I knew that wasn't right. I immediately called John. He calls me one day and he says, "Look, man, one of my buddies, this guy who I record music with, he's in the hospital, he's in a coma." Um, and I said, "What? What? What happened?" He said, "Well, the police shot him." And I said, "In Myrtle Beach?" He said, "Yeah, the police shot him." And um, I said, well, what, what did they say he did? He said, I don't know. I don't know what they say he did. I know they're saying that he shot them first. And then I asked Reggie one question. What did they accuse him of having in the house? And he said, all I know is Julian only messes with weed. 
and I trusted Reggie right then. I said, well, there's no way that this guy had a shootout with the cops over weed. So I knew that it was going to be hell trying to get the truth out uh, in this case. But because it was marijuana, I knew, I knew that this young man was not shooting the police over marijuana. When Johnny McCoy went to Julian Benton's hospital room for the first time, he was told he couldn't see Julian because, they said, he was a restricted patient. Julian Benton was technically in police custody in his hospital bed. Johnny McCoy says it took some negotiation, but he was eventually allowed to go in and see Julian. That's when he learned the extent of Julian's injuries. He had his gallbladder removed, his spleen removed, um... He's paralyzed from the waist down. He uh, had a large part of his small intestine removed. Um, He has had, I can't even count the amount of surgeries that this young man has had because his stomach is where he took the bulk of the bullets or that's where the bulk of the surgery happened. He also had a nasty bullet wound in his leg. That's why his legs, I mean, to this day, they're, He's working on them, but there's very little there. But yeah, it was the trach tube. The trach tube. I never, I never interacted with anybody with the tracheotomy tube, and um, it was. And he was crying and emotional. It was really, it was really something. When I talked to Johnny, my main concern was, am I going to jail for the rest of my life because I didn't do what they said I did, and that was the whole thing. And it was like, I don't know how to disprove. The police, I mean, it's my word against theirs. I mean, I don't really stand a chance. The officers who'd shot Julian Benton had submitted signed statements, stating that they'd fired their weapons after Julian shot at them first. But when investigators collected the gun Julian had been holding and tested it, they found that it had never been fired. It was fully loaded. This confirmed what Julian had said from the beginning, that he had not shot at the police. The commander of the Drug Enforcement Unit was William Knowles. He was later asked, under oath, whether any of the officers who participated in the raid of Julian Benton's apartment had been disciplined. He replied that they had not, because, quote, they didn't do anything wrong. He was asked, did they do anything wrong when they submitted signed statements that were false? Commander William Knowles replied, I don't know that they submitted signed statements that were false. I know that that was their perception, and that's what they believed. There's a difference, in my opinion, between a lie and someone that perceives something differently. It's just, it was lies all the way up to, all the way up the top, and nobody above the people who shot me said anything was wrong with that. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The officers from the 15th Circuit Drug Enforcement Unit had made two claims from the beginning. One, that they had shot Julian Benton after he fired at them first. Tests later showed that Julian's gun had never been fired. They also claimed that when they arrived to his apartment, they knocked and announced themselves before entering. Police sometimes obtain so-called no-knock warrants. But in this case, the officers had a standard warrant which required them to knock on Julian's door, announce themselves as police officers, and give Julian a reasonable amount of time to answer the door before entering. The Drug Enforcement Unit officers said on multiple occasions and typed in signed statements that they had knocked and announced themselves as police officers when they arrived at Julian Benton's apartment. Julian Benton said he never heard a knock. His next-door neighbor, Santos Garcia, who'd watched the whole thing, said he was 100% sure the police had not knocked. Here's Julian's attorney, Johnny McCoy. So when you file the criminal discovery, they have to give you everything. So about three months after I filed my criminal discovery, the officer who was handling the battering ram shows up at my office and he's got this sort of like DVR box in his hand with no cords, Nothing, just a DVR box. And he's like, hey, man, I just wanted to bring this over to you. This is uh, from Julian Taos, probably nothing, and gives it to me. I knew right then and there. I had to call my buddy who knew anything about electronics. We ordered the correct cords for it. We had to buy brand new ones. We plugged it in, and when we got to the part where on, on April 15th of 2015, at approximately, I think it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we and the picture became clear, and we saw these officers pull up on Julian's front lawn. There was proof they were lying. I knew they were lying the whole time, but that now I knew that there was, you know, there was no way for them to get around it, that, that we had them. Like, we got, we got them. We got them. That's when that's when stuff start changing. That's when that's when stuff stopped looking up for me. It was like, okay, we finally got something that disproves their lie. It's like, okay, they 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 lied. They said they knocked and announced before they came. They said they knocked before they came in. They said they announced before they came in, and then they said I fired at them, and then they said I pointed the gun at them, which all four was lies, <clears throat> but I could I, we had to disprove one at a time, and we went on ahead and followed. In the surveillance video from Julian's security camera, you can see a white SUV pull up right in front of the building. You see Julian Benton's next-door neighbor, Santos Garcia, standing outside with his moped. Right in front of the house. Then all of a sudden you see this white 
SUV pull up right, I mean, through the grass, right up into this guy's face who's working on the moped. There's no insignia on the white car. There's no, there's no police insignia. You can't tell that it's a police car. Then um, five or so uh, men who are um, not dressed in police uniforms. None of them have police insignia on that's identifiable. Some of them have masks on. Some of them have baseball caps on that are backwards. Some have jeans on. Some have long sleeve shirts on. Some, you know, it's totally scattered. You can't tell who these guys are. Some of them have AR-15s. Well, most of them have AR-15s and one of them has a battering ram. They all exit this vehicle Three of them with the AR-15s run up on the porch. One of them opens the screen door and the guy with the battering ram on a, on a dead sprint comes up the stairs and hammers the door down. Boom. Julian's next-door neighbor, Santos Garcia, told investigators, quote, if the men would have just knocked on Julian's door and announced themselves as police, I believe Julian would have walked out peacefully It did not have to happen the way it happened. In almost all of South Carolina, officer-involved shootings are investigated by the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED. SLED conducted the investigation into Julian's case, and their findings were reviewed by an independent prosecutor named Kevin Brackett, who announced in July of 2015 that none of the three officers who shot Julian Benton would face criminal charges. He said, quote, The officers were justified in their use of force. They were acting in their own defense. Julian Benton did face criminal charges for possession of marijuana and possession with intent to distribute. Julian uh, ended up having to plead guilty to the possession of marijuana um, charge, possession of marijuana with intent to distribute, where he sold to that young lady. He, he, had, he pled guilty to that. He owned up to it. But these officers never even got questioned about their lies. Nothing. The judge suspended Julian's sentence, essentially giving him credit for the time he was in police custody in the hospital. Julian Benton filed a lawsuit against the city of Myrtle Beach, and the officers and supervisors involved with the raid. His lawyers, Johnny McCoy, joined by civil rights attorneys Burton Craig and Brad Bannon, deposed the Drug Enforcement Unit officers at length and under oath. At one point during a deposition, Officer Chad Guest testified, It's not the law to knock and announce, you know. It's just not. It's the officer's discretion. Commander William Knowles was asked, What's the purpose of the knock, announce, and wait constitutional requirement? He replied, I didn't write it. How would I know what the purpose of it is? I know that it's a requirement, so we do it. I don't know what the purpose of it is. One of the officers involved in the raid of Julian's apartment, Officer Mark McIntyre, resigned shortly after. He went on the record stating, that during his time with the Drug Enforcement Unit from October 2014 through April 2015, quote, agents almost always forcibly entered without knocking or announcing, or simultaneously with announcing. Attorney Brad Bannon says Officer McIntyre was, in essence, a whistleblower. 
Some of the defendants settled for $2.75 million in March of 2018. Others, including Officer David Ballou and the city of Myrtle Beach, did not. Officer Ballou appealed on qualified immunity. The case was reviewed by the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. The judges were critical of the way the police had treated Julian Batten. As Judge Barbara Keenan said, they just came in to unload on this guy. The Fourth Circuit rejected Officer Ballou's qualified immunity claim and sent the case back to the lower court. And just before jury selection, officials for the city of Myrtle Beach settled the case for $8.5 million. Combined with the earlier settlement amount, Julian was awarded a total of $11.25 million. His medical bills have already exceeded $3 million. None of the officers received any disciplinary action. How are you doing now physically? Uh, I'm still, I can, I can take a good 10, maybe 12 steps with my walker. But predominantly, I'm in a wheelchair for the most part of the day. But I, I can push it and, 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 and get it and get on my walker and, and show out for about 10 or 12 steps. <laughs> so I'm getting stronger. It's just taking longer than I thought it would. But my problem is my right leg doesn't bend at the knee, and I have some excruciating nerve pain. And it's kicking in right now. But it's like it, it seems like it never goes away. It has a mind of its own. And we can't figure out why my right leg doesn't bend at the knee. So I might have to have another surgery to have my, to get my knee to start bending. But once that happens, I can maybe start walking a little faster. Are you in constant pain? Uh, 90% of the day, yes. How do you, ta- how do you manage it? <laughs> a great sense of humor. <laughs> a great sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to I try my best not to let that get me down. I'm um I've um never been a pessimistic person, so I don't think I should start now. He says the first thing he did when he got his settlement money was remodel the shower in his house to make it bigger so his wheelchair could fit. I'm in love with water all over again. That was the first thing I bought. <laughs> It was a shower. <laughs> I got my, I got my, I got my shower. I got my, it's not even my whole bathroom. Just the shower remodeled so I can fit in there. And I have a wheelchair that sits in there that I get in, that I transfer to from my wheelchair that stays in the shower. So yes, that was the first thing I bought was a shower. What's your life like now? What, what is, what's life like for you now? Simple now, except for I don't go, I don't go to work. <laughs> I uh, sit in the house and play video games for the most part all day. You like video games? Yes. <laughs> yes. What's your favorite uh, game? Uh, right now, I would say Call of Duty. I've never played a video game. I've only played Mario Brothers from like 1987 my whole life. You haven't played like Snake on your phone? Like like the old, you remember the old no kids had the little snake. You ain't never played that little game. Yeah, I, little... you know what I I actually yes I played that and I used okay. to play. That's right. Okay, I guess I have played that. I remember that game. Oh my god, I forgot about that game. Everybody played that game. Everybody played that game. Yeah, that was a decent game. 
but that was just something that keeps the time passes the time. What do you want people to know about what happened to you? That it was wrong and that I was too late to prevent it from happening to somebody else because Brianna Taylor kind of was the same thing except for she died and I didn't. And and uh, I mean I was actually guilty of a crime. She didn't she didn't even commit a crime. I mean police get away with everything and it's it, it's the, that goes back to it's the training. The cops that shot me weren't the same cops that shot Breonna Taylor, but the case happened the same way. It's the training. It's what they're trained to do. So when there are uh, 12 officers arresting one guy for selling a bag of marijuana, it's like that, that, that's wasting taxpayers' money every day of the week. And it shouldn't be something that people were getting shot over <laughs> in, in, in any type of way. We contacted the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division and many of the agencies involved in the Drug Enforcement Unit, including the Myrtle Beach Police Department, Horry County Police Department, and the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office. But we haven't heard back. In May of this year, Julian Benton was invited to meet with Myrtle Beach City officials, During that meeting, they apologized for the shooting. Julian says none of the officers have ever apologized to him. No, none of the officers did. Would you like that? No, I mean, no, they didn't want to. They had a chance. They they didn't want to. And they they don't want to. If they they wanted it, if they wanted to, then I would, it would be genuine and they would have done it. And being that they haven't done it means they don't want to do it it would be disingenuous because there, no, no, (laughs) there's no need for it. (laughs) No, there's no need for it. There's no need at all for it. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our assistant producer. Audio mix by Rob Byers. Special thanks to Matt Majak. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Radio Topia. From PRX.